Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome along to the Rugby Pass podcast. This is the Short Ball with Scotty Stevenson and today, James McConey. Good morning to you, James. Hello there, Scotty. Uh, pleasure to be here. Where's Millsy? Um, I don't know. I mean, I know he's got, a, he's got a baby. He's got lots of things going on. I'll tell you exactly where he is. He's in Hong Kong. Oh, right. He's in Hong Kong at the Sevens um, because uh, that's what happens when you're Mills Milliani. You get these big flash invites. So uh, he's left us hanging, but two men, big men, for the next half hour, James, talking code. I know. It, it actually feels like Easter was a, was a long way away. It was all a dream. How used was used to read Word Up magazine. How was your Easter? Uh, it was good. I, I didn't have any chocolate. I, I did stray a little bit. I, I decided to go with the hot cross bun mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one on the first day. But then what happens is when you get back into carbs... You start to really want to have carbs all the time. You want a carb because you've yeah. um, you've dropped a number of kilograms. Yeah, but I mean, tell you what, those buns, good buns, great buns. I love a set of buns, that's yeah. for sure. James, um, to get us underway today on the short ball, uh, we're going to be joined by uh, New Zealand rugby scientist Ken Quarry. Uh, good afternoon to you, Ken. Good afternoon. How are you? Very well, Ken. Now uh, the reason we've got you on is because on the weekend we saw remarkable scenes, Ken. We saw two teams playing at Eden Park. Both teams scored six tries, and one team won by 23 points. And that was, of course, the Sharks, because they also kicked seven penalty goals. You've been doing some math around this, Ken, and uh, it's not often I get academical or intellectual, but today I thought we would, because you got in touch last week uh, rather presciently to talk about this very thing and the points values that you believe can be attached to the decision to either go for the line out and the drive or to kick for goal. Can you explain the background to your thinking? Yeah, so in rugby, part of the beauty of the game is that context always counts. So if we're looking at any specific event, we're thinking, what's the points difference at the moment? How long through the game are we? How strongly do we rate our attack versus their defence? And, and a whole bunch of other things in terms of whether we would go for the line-out or go for the penalty at this particular point. But you can sort of backtrack a little bit and go, what would things have to be like to make going for the corner and taking the line-out a better option on average than going for the penalty shot and taking the kick? So- and... Hmm, this is, and this is where the maths comes into play. Yeah, so we know from 
tracking all of the events in the games for, for years that on average kickers are, are getting about 75% of their penalty kicks. So the the outcome of getting a penalty is, is on average a payoff of 2.16 points per kick. Roger that. Okay, now that again it varies on based on the conditions and exactly where the penalty is. But for it to be a better option on average to go for the line out, then you would need to be scoring a try on average once every 0.34, about once every third of the time to equal that sort of points rate. So one try for every three line out drives or line outs you attempt yeah. instead of taking the shot at goal in order to return a higher points value than going for the three points in the first place. Yeah. Now, some teams have good line-outs and, and strong drives and, and or um, good attacking back players off a line-out. So it would make sense for them to do that sometimes or, or, or most of the time. But I think in a, in a tight match where, you know, especially if it's early in the match, then you're probably better off going for the penalty in most cases because across the competition uh, this year so far, teams that throw to a, uh, a line-out from within the sort of 15 metres of the goal are scoring a try at about 27% of times. So Ken. on average, it sort of makes sense to accumulate the points at this stage. But then again, if, you know, if, it's, um, if you're thinking that you're a really strong team and that you're going to dominate through the match anyway, you might, you might go for the points early with the... Um, you, you might go for the line-out early. You take the Crusader option, in other words. Perhaps. And, and also, if, if you're trying to, you know, if you're looking at the competition structure and, and you have to get bonus points or you're at that critical point in the competition, then again, going for the, the, the line-out may be a better option if you have to get tries and get bonus points. Or, you know, so, again, it's context-dependent, but, but those numbers sort of underpin some of the thinking of when it would make most sense to go for a try versus a penalty shot. Ken, um, I'd just like to say, uh, first off, where have you been all my life? <laughs> because this is something that I really believe in. Your science uh, is totally backing me up here because I actually think the, the line-out drive is fraught with danger and problems. And um, I've uh, seen a number of my teams go for the line-out and not even win that line-out. Mm -hmm. So there is no drive to speak of. So... Mm -hmm. You know, a bird in the hand is, uh, is worth two in the bush, as they say. And I'm actually a big fan of the quick tap. And I'd like your next project to be on that, if I, if I may uh, instruct you on what to do as a scientist. <laughs> uh, please uh, do something on that. Uh, of course you may. Everybody else does. So. <laughs> yeah, good. Do you, and, I mean, this research, you, you came to me, uh, Ken, we, we correspond quite often on, on Twitter about all sorts of scientific matters around the game. But... Uh, this was brought up, one of our commentators mentioned the fact that he would prefer to, to accumulate and create that scoreboard pressure. How many other areas of the game uh, do you look at in a mathematical sense like this? Well, we do look at the game in all sorts of ways. Um, you know, a, a lot of it, because every match is being coded and recorded by teams of people, um, you can look at what what the numbers are saying, mm. but often that's just a pointer or a guide to going back to video and saying, well, okay, this is what the trend is 
suggesting what's actually going on there. And yeah, so so it's a balance. It, it's never just look at the numbers. You the, the numbers are a, a guide or a conversation starter to say what's happening in the game. You know, can we find out more about that? Or, or that looks unusual. What what should we be thinking about that? Mm. And just a bit of background on yourself, Ken. How did you find yourself in this uh, particular role for New Zealand rugby? Uh, I came from a, a university background looking at risks involved in sport and have been working with New Zealand rugby since 2000. So when I started, uh, it was mainly around setting up the injury prevention program of Rugby Smart. And over time, my job has developed and evolved into different things. And, and now I'm heavily involved in examining um, you know, performance issues on the field, um, research into the long-term health outcomes of players, and you know, just, just a range of things that uh, are important to New Zealand rugby or that we, we believe are important to New Zealand rugby. Oh, fantastic, Ken. Hey, look, great to have you on the short ball today, mate. Really appreciate your help, and uh, I'm sure given um, the range and variety of your work, would uh, love to have a chat about some other issues in the game another time, mate. He's gone. He's gone back to work, just well, like that. Ken Quarry, he's gone back to work. Scientists will often just disappear on you like that. They do, um, don't they? they? just leave you hanging. Um, I actually appreciate what Ken's doing. I, I think that what he also needs to research is um because i'm full of suggestions today is uh the teams that are the most successful at line out drives uh how successful are they at defending them because i had a big theory about the brumbies who used to love a line out drive but they were very good at defending them because people like scott fardy would do this thing where he'd just fall fall down when another team was driving and he'd be trampled over the top of and just sort of ruin everything you know yeah. what i mean he'd become a human hurdle that's right as if he was tying a shoelace or something the, the fardy yeah. very rarely stood up at a breakdown that's right the fardy was always lying he's like a big labrador just lying yeah. on the porch scotty fardy um, I'm going to post this um, equation of Ken's up on Rugby Pass for those of you who uh, didn't follow the maths. And, it, and it, it, I mean, it's an amazingly accurate reflection of um, the points for tries versus points uh, for penalty goals because you've also got to add in the conversion rate, but the conversion rate is uh, contingent upon the try rate as well. That's right. So the numbers he comes back with are only at 40%. So if you scored uh, from a line out 40% of the time, would that be a bigger number than scoring from penalties? Now, and I know that that, that gives you five points, not necessarily seven points, but I, I, I'm, I tend to think that the three-point play is the best play possible in these games. And I know that Ken speaks there about context in the match, but let's, let's put it into practice here. The Blues on Saturday night had chances to put a couple of early penalties on the Sharks, and they eschewed those in order to go for a line-out try their line-out is not that great. Their ability to score from the line-out is not that great, and that's the context that Ken talks about. Yep, and I think you, you still need to think about you know the, the old adage, you always kick, uh, pick your kicker first. Well, the, well it's, it's not quite that, but you still need someone who is a 75% goal kicker. They yep. need someone who's up in that echelon, and also reckon that uh, when you take into consideration the line-out drive, you do have to factor in the uh, the Sam Whitelock, Victor Matfield, Brady Retallick, the great locks who will shut you down. It's a Beth. Are they there? Are they lurking? You know, can they actually mess up your shit? Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? And, and there's a general discussion point uh, based on, on our chat with Ken. Is 
statistical analysis and science taking something away from the game? Well, I think you actually enjoy it, though, don't you? I enjoy it, but, but I mean, the whole notion now is that uh, in the same way that, uh, that American sports, especially baseball, uh, you know, jumped at sabermetrics and uh, football coaches in the NFL mm. will look for archetypal players. Yeah. Uh, are we seeing that in rugby now? I don't want that guy. I can't put him in my spreadsheet box. Uh, he's no good to me. A guy like Ehiah West, for instance, who, oh, yeah. who is a free radical, he doesn't fit in any box. Therefore, his career has ebbed and flowed, but mm. never quite stuck anywhere because people have gone, eh, you're just not the archetypal guy. You're not, you're not five foot eleven. You're not ninety eight kilograms. You're just not the player that I'm looking for right now. I think we see that too often. Yeah, well, I think the the problem with statistics and trends is that I love the anomaly, and I also think that. People read way too much into them. There can be such a thing as a coincidence. I hate the um, the, the, the phrase that you, oh, you need a, a world-class first five to win a Super Rugby Championship. I don't think you do. Um, I think you just need a, a really good team to get yourself into the final and then see what happens. That's always the way. I mean, no one's going to say, even though I love David Howell, no one's going to call him a world-class first five. I know I you am. will. Okay. I am. I know. But what I'm saying is, I mean, you're a tanifar through and through, it's right? It's true. But... He got them to the fog final. Was it his fault that they lost in the fog? No. And so let's just throw that away. Mwanga, he won them the title before he'd become an, uh, an All Black, so technically not a world-class first five when they won the title last year. Mm. But everybody seems to say, oh, it sounds good, repeat it. It's a trend. Look at the players, you know, Larkin, Carter. It's not necessarily the way things are, Scotty. That's very true, but there are some games you can look at and you can think about what could happen here. Last week we wrote about the Blues on Rugby Pass. In fact, they played too much rugby. What did they do on the weekend? They played too much rugby. They mm. lost the game. Turnovers cost them again, just as you could predict. You didn't even have to see that game. You just looked at the numbers from the game and you asked yourself, what are you doing? Yeah. You're missing first up tackles, so you can't kick the ball. You're offloading too often, so you're dropping it more than most. Yes. You're playing 17 and a half minutes in position versus the Sharks who are playing 14 minutes in position. That's three minutes extra in a game. It doesn't sound like much, but it's a long time to make mistakes and for them to capitalise on you. I think there are some areas of the game where the numbers do bear out across the board and you can make pretty accurate predictions on what might happen, barring, as you say, the anomalies. Yeah, that's right. Uh, look, uh, um, I, I love the fact that we get the sent stats as well. It's really interesting that we actually starting to... You read more stats than most, so I know that you're way ahead of the game compared to most people in the media. But I, I actually think that rugby needs to have their own view on things because I think I don't want it to make it like a quarterback in, um, in American football. That's exactly my point. So I want us to actually say, and, and or even a halfback in league, every time there's a grand final, who's winning the Clive Churchill medal? Oh, let's just bring out you know, the winning number seven. It's just easier that way. Whereas, at least in rugby, every single person, 1-15, to 15, has got a chance of being the man of the match or making that killer play and always feel with say Tom Brady's statistics that they helped along by a, a, a match winning intercept against the Seahawks nothing to do with him he wasn't even on the field um, you know a catch against the uh, uh, who's the Atlanta team the Falcons uh, the Falcons uh, which was just bobbling so close to the ground. I mean, again, I mean, that's your receiver saving you mm. for a throw that wasn't necessarily perfect, but it all, co all comes down onto Brady's stats. Hey, he threw for this, he threw for that. Well, wait a second. There's other people contributing to the sport as well. Rugby, we need to make sure we protect those people, you know? 
I agree with you, James. Which we do, which we have. Which I think we do better than That's most sports. A, I think we do as well. That's an intense chat. Uh, let's stick with the yep. Blues. We've got to talk about them. Um, I, I can't see a way out for them. Yes. That, that, that is a broken team. And I look around those players, I look at their, their most experienced players. Jerome Kano on the field in that final 10 minutes just looks shattered. Like, he just had no answer. Mm. And, and that's no slight on Jerome Kano. He's just, he's been with that team for so long and seen it all repeat itself over and over again. Shot of James Parsons. I mean, here's James Parsons. Jettisoned as captain last year, under what circumstances, I do not, I do not know. Uh, I, I dare not ask. He's sitting on the bench in the final 10 minutes looking at that effort unravel. Uh, a just dejected figure. Uh, now these are the two most experienced players in that team. Uh, there's no up and drive from them. There is just heads down. They're, they're done. Those two players in particular, I don't think there is anything left in the tank that they can give this team, apart from their on-field effort, but nothing more. There's no inspiration from those two guys left. They've, they've used it all up over the last six, seven seasons. Uh the Blues are a real shame because, I mean, the weekend that you talk about, say, for example, that uh, loss, which is such a huge shame given they gave so much an attack, you're looking around the competition and all the players who are looking really great, uh, Auckland uh, well, originated, you know, you've got Ben Lamb and Vince Arsall and, or, you know, Tavita Lee, it doesn't matter, you know, you just keep on going on with these players who have, who have come out of the Blues region so that, that's a shame, but you've got to make do with what you've got. This is a big problem, I think, with the Blues, is they, they don't actually make the most of what they've got. Uh, look, they you can't. Could, you can't Because they me. can't. There's, yeah. no, there's, no, there's no bond like those other teams. I wrote about this three weeks ago, and, and mm. uh, we spoke about it on the pod as well. I know I'm poo-pooed because I say Auckland's a problematic city for a rugby team like the Blues. When you compare it to Hamilton, Christchurch, Wellington, Dunedin, where you have proximity of players, you have that ability to go to each other's houses, meet up for lunches, do the things that form a team bond. They don't have that here. No. They'll never have that here. Better cafes, though, and more vegan options. That's very so, true, too. But you're right, traffic is an issue. Well, it's um, not just traffic. The housing it's the market scale, is... It's the scale, of, it's, the scale <laughs> it's the scale of the city. It is. It, it's, it, and it, it's problematic for this team. I, I, I truly think that and with the Blues, and I look around situations like Saturday night where you drop 60 points against a team that plays limited rugby, I mean, the Sharks must have thought they had woken up in a fantasy land, putting 60 points on the Blues at Eden Park. Yeah. A fantasy land. Are you suggesting a Whangarei base for the Blues? Why not? Because, you know, like teams like Chicago uh, Bears, not that it's a great example, they do have their own sort of like no, wrong with the Bears. gated community north of Chicago. Yeah. So everybody's there in a Stepford Wives type scenario. Right. And maybe that's what you do in Auckland. You create a Stepford Wives scenario in yeah. Whangarei. Yeah. Why not? Oh, you've got to do something. And, uh, you know, I know that um, the talk's now started about the entire organisation. And where's the CEO at a point like this? Michael Redmond needs to come out and front something. Yep. discuss what their plans are. You can't leave Tana to front everything. I know he's the head coach, but he doesn't like talking in the media. He's a shy, retiring guy. He's not going to be able to front every time to make excuses for this team. Where's your new ownership? Where's your chairman of the board? Where's your CEO? What's going on behind the scenes? This is the biggest city in New Zealand. Fundamentally, it is the most important market for rugby, and the team across town in a different code is stealing your thunder. Yeah, That is a massive ball ache, not just for the Blues, but for rugby in Auckland. And when I say rugby in Auckland, I mean rugby in this country. 1.5 million plus live here, and they're being outrated on viewers by a rugby league team. That's right. It is. It's huge, isn't it? 
And I mean, the, the, the talent is going is just sort of seeping out of the city as well. Like, I mean, they know it's the, the winning attraction for a for a player who maybe has spent his whole youth in Auckland and has ended up at St Kent's or one of the big rugby schools. They're getting snapped up everywhere else except for the Blues, you know. And the Blues are kind of getting the rest, the cast-offs. Not that it's necessarily a bad thing. The, the level of talent is high, but it's not the attractive option now for any player. So, I think I think the big mistake they made was they got rid of um, John Kerwin just totally from the organisation. I think there was a place for him as a football manager type person. The intellectual property that someone or even just the the, the experience he, he gained from you know, being coach of that team, he could have actually carried on and been, I don't think he would have meddled, I think he would have actually helped just with a, on, on a, on a sort of culture side of things. And you do. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We need someone who's who is Auckland uh, literate, really. Yeah. Who understands Who's the an city. evangelist for the city, That's right? It. And who because can show these guys that, hey, you can come and live here, you can enjoy it, we can make it enjoyable for you. Let me open a few doors, let me create a network for you so that you feel more at home here. That's it. Uh, I, I never thought that the Blues problem is a talent base. I've never thought that. If you can afford to be a net exporter of talent, then you've got enough in your backyard to work with. I agree with that. I do not think the Blues have ever suffered from having less talent than any other team. What I do think they suffer from is a massive identity crisis, and I cannot see a way out for them at the moment. Yeah, well, it's funny because the two people that you mention um, who should be fronting, one is the former mayor of Hamilton, and the other one is probably the greatest Wellingtonian to ever represent New Zealand in the black jersey. So, you know, um, it's great that they've come to Auckland and brought their <laughs> their their skills here. But th- the point is, is that you do need someone who really cares about the region and understands it as well. I mean, why are, are the Blues just considered really an Auckland team when there is, uh, you know, another union, two other unions, Harbour and Northland, who should be just as big a part of it, really, or made to at least feel that way? Well, they don't, and, and we know that for certain. But let's turn our attention to the weekend ahead because the Blues uh, assignment doesn't get any easier. They go up against the Chiefs team. And, and you want to talk about talent, McCartney? Yes, the Chiefs team has 16 current injuries, I think, and they are four from five. Yeah. They're, they have no earthly right to be winning these games uh, with the roster at their disposal compared to some of the other teams who are who are, are putting forward more experienced squads, squads with bigger tickets on them than the That's Chiefs right. have. I don't know what's going on down there. I don't know how they keep doing it. But if the Blues play the same way uh, this coming weekend against the Chiefs, they are going to get an absolute shellacking. 
yeah, there, there could be problems down there. But traditionally, what happens with these games is it will be it could actually be a bit like what we saw the big point fest uh, against the Sharks because there are games that just you know there just seems to be that freedom when the, when they play each other and they're, yeah it, it, um, they're brutal those encounters. What I like about the Chiefs is that they you know despite all those problems they're making the most of of what they've got, which is what I was saying before. You know you actually need to. Look at, say, someone like Solomon Alamalo, who played a fullback for Northland. He's regarded as a wing at Super Rugby level, but suddenly he's he's thrust into fullback again. Damien's in and out of first five. But he's been a two-year project with the Chiefs. That's right. He's been a two-year project, and we're now seeing the fruits of that labour because oh, he's Al- been outstanding. Alamalo. Alamalo, yeah, I agree. And, the, and then the other thing is Tyler Ardron. You know, there, there are other locks that they've called in, <laughs> But they're saying, no, we'll have the big Canadian loose forward. Thanks very much. Yeah. There's that trust. And so they are expecting a lot of their stars because there are superstars there now when you consider Sam Kane, Brody Retallick and you know the emerging talents of uh, McKenzie. But really, it's all about sort of saying, look, we've, we've got this good core and everybody who comes in will just get sucked into this wonderful uh, vortex or orbit of um, Planet Chiefs. So, I mean, the one thing I look at it with the Chiefs is, you, you know, rugby league talks about the spine all the time. If you look at the Chiefs, you've got an all-black hooker. Yep. You've got Brady Retallick, and arguably the world's best lock. Yes. You've got Sam Kane, in my mind, the world's best seven. You go back, you've got Brad Weber, who is a very good halfback. Yep. You've got Damian McKenzie, who will be a very good first five and is just a great double threat anywhere in the park. And then you've got ALB at centre. So you've, throughout that team, in really key positions, that's where your superstars are. Yep. So you can wrap anyone around those guys to a point and still get results. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that, that spine has has served us well. I mean, even over the years, if you take out um, the, the guys who we lost, it did seem uh, like we'd struggle to replace them. But, uh, you know, Webb has been in that in that environment for a long time. Mm. Uh, I actually like um, the, the cut of a lot of the new players' jibs, you know. Like, I think Talini um, Seu's come back. And he's played number eight now. He's yeah. got those training years that they all talk about. You know, you're going to spend more time in the gym to look like Dwayne The Rock Johnson a bit more. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's at least come back and done that. So I, I think that what the Chiefs probably, um, uh, that, uh, what is underrated for them is is that next level down. They they really do treat everybody as if their time is 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 now so and, and you go back to Dave Dillon though on the academy system they set up well ahead of any other franchise I mean the Crusaders had it by virtue of the fact that anyone who played in the region wanted to play for the Crusaders the Chiefs actively went out and recruited and recruited really well had great coaches that players wanted to play under and that academy system has kept feeding them over the last six years seven years yeah and you know I am gutted we didn't get um, Mataele into the Chiefs region he's playing for Taranaki so I mean, it is a bit of a bummer when you see him doing so well. But I love uh, what Sean Wainui brings. I like the fact that there's a lot of second-chance players. Talk about that guy. Oh. Talk about Sean Wainui. Here's a guy who got, what, six minutes in the entire season last year for the Crusaders and yet has come into the Chiefs. Yes, he knows Colin Cooper, trusts him. He's a Taranaki player. I, I think Sean Wainui might be the revelation of the season so far. Yeah, he has been. And, I, and the trust they had in him, there was, a, there was a move. I mean, you can call it a move now because it involved another phase where he ran at the two little guys off, um, off a scrum and then I think Talino Sayu picked the ball up and scored. That must have been at Eden Park, I think, against the Blues early rounds. Mm. And 
the the thing is he just did it so perfectly i could see that the, the coaches were giving themselves a bit of a pat on the back but i mean talk about you know uh, a player stepping up and doing the perfect you know uh, play for a for a move where he's only really been in the team 5 minutes That's it. i mean he is he went to Takapuna Grammar as well, with, and he's in the same class as Lord. And so I think that's got a lot to do with it as well. Because, you know, just that greatness rubs off on you. Mm. And I think um, Lord has benefited from being alongside Sean Wainui's greatness. I think she certainly has. Yeah. Um, and has reggae beats. Yeah. He's a massive reggae fan. Well, that's the thing. He did say that um, Lord was definitely kind of the different sort of arty. Uh, he said, oh, buzzy chick, buzzy chick. That was the way he described buzzy it. Buzzy chick. Yeah, yeah. Buzzy, that's that's a euphemism for goth and loner, is it? Cool, no, cool. Oh, cool chick. Yeah, yeah, buzzy. 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 Oh, she's a buzzy chick. Yeah, she's a buzzy chick. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Lauders, and I mean... Do they still correspond? I mean, are they pen pals? I'd hope so. Yeah, but I, I just don't know what his Twitter movements are. I mean, it's all Stephen Adams and Lord at the moment, but yeah. Is it? Yeah. Stephen Adams? She, is he, he pesting on Lord, or yeah. is she pesting on him? Bit of both. He went. Really? He, he went to her concert in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And then they hung out backstage, mm. and you know, mm. yeah, Kiwis just doing their thing. And then she sent a, a tweet with the kiwi fruit emoji on it, which is why I thought that's were they eating kiwi fruit? No, that, that's the uh, unofficial kiwi um, uh, emoji. Oh, the kiwi fruit. Kiwi fruit. Oh, because of course, if you're in the America and you say kiwi. I'm a kiwi, they they think you're a fruit. That's yeah, it. understood. Yeah. Let's move down the line to the Canes taking on the Sharks. The Canes will put fifty on them. I mean, which will bring into stark relief the Blues woes. The Sharks yeah. will get, they will get hammered. Yeah, it's not looking Slapped good. like a red-headed stepchild. <laughs> so, so the thing is, with the Hurricanes, they just are the team that will score from anywhere, from any, you know, if, if Geordie Barrett's doing tunnel ball and Ben Lam- and, and, and Bowden true. Barrett is doing the defensive bomb, Lee Hart's, uh, tactic that was poo-pooed so many years ago. When I he love a defensive sport. bomb. A defensive bomb that bounces on its point and lands perfectly for Ben Lamb, who is a track athlete, really, when it comes down to it. Is he the only first five in the world who still puts up the defensive bomb? Oh. Against the Haguaros, he did it in round two, I think it was. He, he must have done about four of them. There's a place for it, isn't there? I mean, he's proved no. it. He's pro- no, look, it's wor- worse is getting charged down. Yes. Charged... So why not go for the bomb? It's a different trajectory. You're not going to get charged down. Do you need to take that phone call? No, nah, it's fine. I'll, 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 I'll pick it up Who soon. Who is it? It's, uh, it's, it's my ex, but um, yeah, it's fine. I will be finding, I'll be returning sure? that call. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Everybody okay with this podcast and <laughs> we carry on? Geordie yeah, yeah. Uh, Barrett, uh, and, and come back, or he hadn't been playing since June last year when he got injured, um, it's, he just gives zero fucks, doesn't he? He's just out there to do whatever he likes. Yeah, yeah. He he is uh, just that wonderful freak of nature who can do anything. He's he's six foot six now. I'm pretty sure he's taller than Scott Barrett. It's uh, his brother who plays lock. So we're really you you're looking at this physical specimen, but it's more the imagination that that I think is the best thing about um, Geordie because you know yeah he's he's an amazing athlete, but it's just doing those. Um, amazing sort of like a trick I guess passes uh, and doing it like it's commonplace just thinking outside the box well and that's the thing about the Canes though right and we go back to that element in a footy team especially in a rugby team of trust there's someone there yeah. all the time uh, the Geordie Orflood, uh I can't remember the game now it was uh, a, yeah oh sorry the, the one uh, two I think TJ was scooped it up in the end against the Highlanders 
or maybe the Crusaders at, at Westpac. Just no look past out the back, around the corner. This one through the tunnel ball uh, last weekend. You, you know, like this kid just does whatever he wants. But the difference being, there's a lot of guys who would like to try that stuff and it would never come off. With him, he's got like an 89% hit rate on tricks coming off. And also, the point you made about the teammates being ready for it is is crucial because I always say always expect the ball, you know, and surely with, when you play with Sonny Bill Williams, you must have sort of worked out that the ball might just come squirting out at any angle. Same with Anton Leonard Brown and, of course, with Geordie now. Tunnel ball was read by Brad Shields. He just went, oh, I think it might come out between his, you know, from his ass. Correct. And it did. Yeah. And then... He uh, shed a pass out to Brad Shields. Right. He was ready for it. And then I think uh, Vince Arsaw scored that amazing diving try. There was a there was a freakish little Geordie offload somewhere in there as well. But you just know it could come out from anywhere. Because uh, I, I think the relationship between those brothers wasn't quite the same last year in the early rounds of Super Rugby. The Geordie Barrett, the Geordie Barrett, Bowden Barrett combination didn't quite work as well. But this year, yeah, uh, they've gone home. They've gone home to Smiley and Robin. They've gone yeah. home to their six siblings. There was a family wedding. They've got back in the backyard. They've yeah. figured it all out. And now they've hit the ground running after their all-black break and, and after Geordie's injury layoff. And um, woe betide anyone who tries to, to stop it. Yeah, I love watching him play. And... Um, I'm happy for him. I did ask him once, I said, who's your goal-kicking hero? Because, you know, he does a lot, of, a lot of trick goal kicks. And his was Michael Witt from the Warriors. Remember he had this amazing... I remember Michael yeah. Witt. He scored yeah. like 45 straight. Yeah, that's right. So he loved a bit of Michael Witt, which is cool. Wow. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Not as good as Katarina Witt. No, well, she was probably the pick of the wits. Mm. Yeah. Now, we've got to go to Christchurch. Well, they're in Argentina. Mm. Do you see the Jaguares uh, doing to the Crusaders what they did to the Lions uh, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, the Crusaders look angry now, don't they? I think they're frustrated. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're gutted. They drop those uh, those games, those points. But that's what happens in those tricky little derby games. The old, uh, They're all banana skins out there, as they say, in the game, in the media business. But I think... Um, what what's happened though is that they will there's still this massive work in progress. The Mitch Hunt forward passes. The I think there were three of them. Um, he Thing will, of beauty. The, I, I see what he's trying to do. We all try to throw the long ball. I mean, whenever we're out there with your mates and you go, "Hey, I think I can I can make this mm-hmm. this pass," and then you get called by the ref and you go, "No, but it's," and then you realise, uh, yeah, travel five meters forward. Once Mitch reins that in, he should be. Is Mitch reins a person? By the way, have I just? Don't know. Look him up yeah, while we'll I continue up. to talk about. Well, I mean, the young brigade though is doing a job. I think uh, George Bridge would be my pick of the back line at the moment. Apart from Goodhue, but I can't talk about Goodhue. I'm contractually obligated to stop talking about Jack Goodhue because um, people will accuse me of Northern bias. But Goodhue's the glue. But George Bridge is breaking tackles left, right, and centre, running for 180 odd metres in a game. I like George Bridge, but there's something there's something fundamentally not going right for the Crusaders right now. I don't know if they've got a bit of second-year syndrome. I don't know whether they just miss a couple of their linchpin players. I don't think it's all about not having Kieran Reid and not having Israel Dagg. I just, I don't know. I wonder if they're just trying to play too much footy. There is such a thing as playing too much footy. Yeah, it, it's a tough one with the Crusaders because they, they've got all the, um, all the elements needed to, to make a great team. I always feel like when you have an unbeaten season, it's just such a... It's such a hard act to follow. Um, you you probably feel that everything you did uh, contributed to that, but it's not necessarily the case. You know, like there there are some great losing teams that have got wonder, wonderful cultures as well. But if you end up having this winning season, then everything you you feel like everything you did contributed to that, mm. even if it n- didn't necessarily 
do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So you if know, one so thing is suddenly missing, you're like, oh, it's just not going to be the same this yeah. year. Damn it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And even last year, you might have been doing things incorrectly, but you just won because, you know, Quaker Smith got a red card in the final or whatever. You know, there are other factors that come into play. So are you saying you think that the Crusaders only won last year because Quagga got Sinbin? No, I'm just saying, I'm saying that, you know, things... There's other factors that contribute to this amazing winning season, aren't there? I just there? started chewing a pen that I just picked up yeah. from the table, and that's really bad hygiene, because I don't know who else has been chewing this pen in the podcast room. Oh, I don't know. if There's, you, there's not many pen chewers left, actually. No, it, was, it hasn't got tooth very... marks, but still someone could have had that in their mouth. No, I think I think with Quaker um, in the final, it's all I'm saying is like there are certain... It's not necessarily all these amazing things that you put in place that get you uh, the win. Sometimes it'll be a last-minute drop goal by Johnny Sexton on uh, halfway or whatever against France or a Mitch Hunt drop goal on halfway against the Highlanders that actually contribute to that. You know, it's not necessarily, hey, we did everything perfectly that game. Sure. There's the luck of sport. Yeah, yes, that's right. You know? Yeah, yeah some divine intervention. Yeah. Um, the Highlanders have got a bye, uh, which means Aaron Smith um, is in the island somewhere, sitting on a beach. Yes. He's gone. Raro, Fiji, one of those. He's the best player in the competition. Aaron Smith? Yeah. I agree with you. He is. I agree with you. He, there's nobody at his level. I agree with you. Yeah. And he'll be more frustrated than most that for two consecutive games, uh, yep. a team's got the better of him. Yep. The Highlanders probably should have won that game against the Chiefs, but for their own mistakes. Uh, they were coming home with a wet sail. I would credit the Chiefs with some goal on defence, but... Do you think the Highlanders are genuinely a proposition for the title this year under Aaron Major and, and uh, Corey Brown and, and Mark Hammett and, and Ed all? Old Hammer, good to see Hammer smiling again. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I think that you, they are. They're definitely contenders. As long as you've got Smith and Smith autoglass in there, uh, things can happen, you know, uh, with the Smiths sometimes depressing. But if you look at them the right way, uh, just beautiful, you know. I mean, the Steve, Smiths are depressing. No, no, that's well, the not. The Smiths themselves were probably fine. It's just Morrissey brought everyone down. No, no, but it's beautiful. Beautiful. Sometimes you listen to a Smith song that can just make your heart sore, and it's the same with looking at Aaron Smith. Those. What, what Smith song could possibly make your heart sore? Oh, how soon is now? I mean, come on. Um, uh, are you going to look? <laughs> I've forgotten the name of the song, but what's the one about the old the guy they on could, the bicycle? And they died tonight in a car crash, but you know it'll be the happiest time of their lives. Anyway, we don't need to we don't need to discuss Morrissey lyrics right now. What we need to discuss is Dylan Hunt, because I'm going to go right back to the start where we talked about statistical analysis. Dylan Hunt, by any measure, is too small, not tall enough, not heavy enough, and I reckon he is, and arguably one of the top three sevens going at the moment. Yeah, because he thinks to himself, okay, this is my, my, my core job and that's what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, slightly stumpy, but I mean, I love a stumpy seven. There's nothing, I mean, I actually feel You're like... You're a Dwayne Monkley fan. He wrote the book on stumpy sevens. Exactly, and I always feel like Jordan Telfer in another life would have played seven for the Blues way before he got um, snapped up down south because he was a number seven for Sacred Heart College, just miles from where we're doing this um, podcast. But anyway, Dylan Hunt, student, bookworm... And very good at what he does. And guess where he came from? Westlake Boys High School on oh, the north shore of Auckland. And obviously, um, he's a charming man. And this charming man is the other Smith song that you I can't think bring, is You really, can't bring that song up. That's a really good song. I think this charming man, I'm looking at other people in the room just to get some nods about how good that song is. They're not really with me on that one. Alice, the producer, was not even can. alive when Morrissey started his quest for veganism. And Sam has got his arms folded. He's just... 
he is totally against you on this charming man. Okay, fine. It's the most ironically named Morrissey song because he's the least charming man in music, Morrissey, surely. And, Did uh, you, but you, you're of a certain age where you knew girls who would sit alone in their room with Smith's posters up and just listen to those albums over and over again yeah. and be really sad. Yeah, and so I'd, I'd have to get alongside and say, yeah, I, I love um, his, <laughs> Morrissey's version of That's Entertainment. Yeah, that's... You, 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 panic as well. Panic on the streets of Birmingham. You, you would seek those women out, wouldn't you? Because they knew you knew they needed a shoulder to cry on. You, that was your MO? That was your MO. No, Do you no. listen to the Smiths? Do you need to chat? <laughs> Should we talk Mate, about I went to all boys school. There was no time for to find too. out those those Smith listeners. But Aaron Smith, yeah, I think is the best player in the competition. His every single pass is worth. I mean, if Mozart were alive today, if Tchaikovsky were alive, they'd be writing um, songs about Aaron Smith's pass. You think? Yeah. Well, not songs, I guess, because you have to sing for a song. Symphonies. They'd be writing symphonies. Yeah. Maybe sonatas. Yes. Maybe the odd. Yeah, concerto. It's always a pleasure to be with you, James. <laughs> pleasure is all mine. Well, maybe, I don't want to hog the pleasure, but I've had a lot of it. Maybe we should go out to some uh, Smith song today on the podcast. We'll, oh. we'll get that sorted for you, and we'll see you next week on The Short Ball. James McConey, Scotty Stevenson, uh, Mills might be back. He might not. I really enjoyed my time with you today, James. Oh, I've loved it as well, so let's just cheat on Mills. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.